Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here together in the Cherokee Batting Range podcast studio getting ready to record episode number 249. Have a really fun show lined up for you this week. In our warm-up segment, we're going to talk about our city of the week, player of the week, equipment tip of the week, have a very timely and not that much fun, did you know, have a great listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In our lead-off topic, we're going to talk about something that I listened to on a recent podcast about the difference between winning players and losing players and some stuff for us to think about from uh, many different angles about that topic. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about our recruiting. Recruiting season is on the horizon and somebody uh, uh, sent me a very lengthy and uh, detailed uh, email asking a bunch of questions. We're going to pull a couple of questions out of that for the next several weeks and answer it a little bit at a time. And then we're going to end up with our action coach coaching tip of the week. So before we get into all those topics, Let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And now we're getting pretty close to those gloves coming out. It's going to be fun to see the Anderson gloves yeah, when, when, sure. uh, when they hit the market. Make sure you take advantage of that EFP20 discount. It's a great way for you to save 20% on any purchase you make from Anderson. It also helps to support everything fast pitch at the same time. Also want to talk about patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. want to say thank you very much. We added two new patrons this week, Doug Everman and Matt Stacy, two new patrons that have come on board. We appreciate y'all. Um, yeah. If you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch, just like Doug and Matt did, there's a little process you go through. You sign up and uh, agree to support us to the tune of either $5, 10 or $20 a month. Um, we're at a point now where the more help we can get, the better we are. Story um, it all helps. Yeah, and, yep. and it's been encouraging. I know I, I keep saying that, you know, in this last six, seven months, we've added enough patrons that it keeps me thinking that we're going to get keep, there. Keeps the light on. Right, we're, yeah. we're, we're going to get there. But if we had not added the patrons we've added seven months ago, I think we might be out of business by now. So no, I think it's even tighter. I yeah. Know. So I think it's I think it's uh, amazing that people are coming on board. If you see value in what we're doing, if you want us to be able to continue to do it, the best way for that to happen is for you to become a patron. Of course, we'd love to add more sponsors and and advertisers and all that stuff too. But the easiest way for all of you to contribute a little bit is to kick in by becoming a patron. And again, five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. Coach Don and I really do appreciate the support and the Great patrons that we've had, and you know, we have, uh, and we'd like to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, we have we have many people that have been on with us now and supporting us for a very long time. All of that is really appreciated, but we definitely need more people to come on board and, uh, and help support us if you can. All right, so Don, our warm up segment is sponsored by Bidinger and Styles DDS. They're located in Webster, Massachusetts. If you're anywhere around the Webster area, you have any kind of uh, dental needs, get in touch with the folks at Bidinger and Styles DDS. Um, they are longtime supporters of the podcast, and we certainly would love for you to take advantage of their services and share the wealth a little bit if you can uh, can use them for any of your dental needs. So, Don, let's talk about our city of the week. First, it's Robbins, Iowa. Robbins, Iowa. 
Yeah. No, I'm sure they're probably right in the middle of winter now, huh? Uh, yeah. No, one, one thing is for sure. Uh, you know, I was born in Iowa, uh, born cool. in, in Dubuque, and then lived in Wisconsin most of my life until I was about 35 years old. And so I know what winter is. And the yep. people in Robbins, Iowa definitely know what they winter is. They know what it's is. all about. Right? Um, it always kind of cracks me up when we have a cold stretch down here in Atlanta to see how life comes to a screeching halt because it gets down to 20 degrees or whatever. But when we had that cold stretch at Christmas, I was kind of surprised how weak and spindly and soft <laughs> and vulnerable I'd we felt. Because yeah. the kind of day that would have never even registered as a cold day when I lived in Wisconsin or for our folks in Iowa, you know, a day that would have just been ah, just another day of winter. Felt like like the end of the earth. I cried a little bit to those back home in Canada, and they told me it was forty five below with the wind chill. Yeah. And I I just again cringe. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, obviously, we want to say thanks to the folks in Robbins, um, and to see the numbers jump in an area is always encouraging to us. Um, one of the things we're always asking you to do as a listener is to find somebody who's not listening yet, get them on board, give them a little pep talk about what they'll gain, what they'll learn, how much Share fun they'll a link. have. Yep. So easy to find the podcast. It's on all the all, all the podcast servers, so it's not something that they're going to have to really work hard to, to track down. I mean, we'd love to see the numbers continuing to go up. Um, you know, we've got a couple of challenges hanging out in the ether here for Coach Don. Uh, if we're our Canadian numbers double, <laughs> and for Coach Tory, if the Wisconsin numbers double. So, uh, oh Canada, yeah. If uh, you want to really put some pressure on either one of uh, either one of us, uh, find some people in those areas. Gotta um, share and, it. And, and get them to jump on board. So again, congratulations, Robbins, Iowa. You're the city of the week. Our player of the week this week, Don, is Bella Sayer. She plays for the Arizona Cats and Lehman Academy of Excellence uh, in Marana, Arizona. She was nominated by her coach, Joe, and Joe is very, very excited to nominate Bella. She's had a couple of really amazing accomplishments this year, and the, the first one that uh, wanted to be recognized was she hit her first ever and the school's first ever over-the-fence home run in one of their uh, middle school games this year. To be the person to uh, experience hitting your first personal one is great, but to be the first one in the in the program's history school. to do it at your school is pretty amazing, too. So so Bella was very, very proud of that, and, and, and Joe was very proud to nominate her for it. On top of the on-field accomplishments, um, like many of the uh, players that we do get to recognize, you know, he talks about her being a humble team leader who lifts her teammates um, you know, if somebody's having a bad day, she's the first one to be patting them on the back and telling them that they'll get it. Just a really strong player, obviously a really talented player, plays shortstop. Good teammate, um, yeah. But a, a great teammate, great student, and and the kind of kid that we want to recognize. So just like Joe did, if you have a player you would like to nominate, it's a really easy process. You just send us an email, either everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. We've been in a pretty good run now. We've had a, a pretty good stretch going of getting nominations. We'd like to keep that going. Um, if you can, just send us a quick little note. You know the, what the player did, why you want us to recognize her. It does not need to be a. You know, a doesn't have to be a perfectly yeah, put together. It doesn't have to be a, a, yeah. a senior thesis or something like that. Right. Just a couple of sentences usually is enough to get us going. On-field accomplishments are great, but uh, we also love the uh, in the community. Share and, a few uh, details, yeah, uh, and a little bit so Don and I can get together and figure out whether a player is worthy or not, and it's. Uh, pretty consistent that we will agree on a player every week. Uh, we'd love to have a different player from different parts of the country. So obviously it's great for us to be recognizing somebody from Arizona and we want to keep that going. So congratulations, Bella. Uh, you are the fast pitch prep player of the week. Great job, Bella. So down our equipment tip, let's talk about square cuts, training discs. No, Tori, the discs again have been fantastic. It's a, a nice variety for us here at the cages to uh, have as a station. 
constantly giving good feedback all the players this time of year we have a lot of new kids that show up like a new year's start we want a fresh start so we get some new students and they're always excited to uh, see something different you know they may have been to other places to train in the past and when they come and see the square cuts training discs um, they're like wow this is kind of cool and kind of neat and it is different it's Again, a product that uh, everybody can gain something from, whether you're using it uh, as we designed it for, for hitting, or whether you're using it as a pitching disc, or for throwing overhand, or for crazy hops. Yep. Um, it's kind of been a neat product, so it's kind of evolving as we go, and we're excited to get to share it. Yeah, absolutely. They are forty nine ninety five a dozen, so it's a very affordable training tool. They hold up really well. If you get a dozen, you're going to get a lot of use out of them. Um, I know... Um, I'm very proud of the fact that they are as durable as they are. They are made of the kind of material that you, uh, it has the same weight and feel of hitting a softball, but it's not going to cause any kind of damage to your bat. So it's, you know, it's uh, something that you can hit over and over and over again, not having to worry about Pretty tearing forgiving. up your equipment. Yep. Yep. Um, and it's just, it's a great uh, tool to get feedback on every swing that you take. So if you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, you go to our YouTube channel. I created a couple of short videos. They kind of give you a quick little tutorial on ways that you can use it for hitting. All of you are smart people. You'll figure out there's lots of other things you can do besides just what I showed in those couple of uh, couple of videos. But it's really easy. You go to that uh, fastpitchprep.com website. The order button's right there on the main page. Click on it. We'll get all your information. We'll get them sent to you as soon as we possibly can. Something I'm really proud of. Something I, I think was a, gr- a great idea that we were able to to bring to market, and I'm very very excited about them. Tori, it's a good product for at home and or for practice time. Right. Yeah. Well, and, uh, that's one of the things I keep saying is I think every player should have a set to use when they're training at the house because when they're training at the house by themselves, they need some feedback. They need to know that what they're doing is actually making them a better player. And the disc is absolutely the tattletale of all tattletales. If you're not doing something right. You're going to know every single time you hit it. I was going to say, at home, they might last forever. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think every team should have at least a dozen or two so that you have an extra station or two that you can use. And something that we didn't even anticipate, but one of our listeners you know, brought to our attention, that they started to use them on the field where you could really let them fly and see how far they were flying. And he said that was when some of his players finally figured out exactly what the disc was telling them on every swing right. because it was a big enough space that they could see the disc fly and see that it was really flying straight or not. And so, um, again, the Square Cuts training discs, forty nine ninety five a dozen. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website, get them ordered, and we'll get them out to you right away. Don, did you know this was a very crazy and uh, unsettling week in the world of athletics because of the craziness of the Monday night football game? One of uh, the Buffalo Bills players collapsed and needed to be resuscitated, had to have CPR administered on the field. For Demar Hamlin, you know the good news is that he appears to be on on the road to recovery, and um, it's still a little too early to know about his football future and all that kind of stuff. But the perfect storm situation happened that somebody who needed high level medical attention happened to have that incident in a place where that was available to him almost immediately, and it made me think about something that I want us to talk about to kind of get the. And start beating the drum a little bit for this idea. So we have a young man who's in the best shape of his life. Of his life. Um, we don't know whether the cardiac event that he had was caused by the play on the field or was just a thing that happened, thing. you know, just yep. a, you know, genetics or whatever it might be. But what we do know is that because there was an athletic trainer there to start CPR probably within 30 seconds of when he hit the floor, 
there was a defibrillator and an ambulance and all that stuff available to him so that he could start getting treatment right away. You know, having gone through the heart attack that I had earlier this year, it forced me to learn a few things. And basically, that first couple of minutes can be the difference between whether you survive or not. Well, the reason I wanted us to talk about it is obviously this looks like it's going to end up being a you know best case scenario, but I spend an awful lot of time at an awful lot of tournaments, games, practices, and one of the things that I think is almost universal is the lack of medical attention, medical attention that would yeah. be available if something happens. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't you know parents or people like that that are trained in CPR and that kind of stuff. And, and we would hope that if something ever happened at the field, that you know, somebody would jump in and, and be willing to try to do the, do the best they could to help save somebody's life. But I do think it's time for us to start the conversation about making that more, more of a, people and, and more of a requirement yeah. for certain types of events to take place. You know, the defibrillating machine, you know, the little thing that hangs on the yeah. wall in a lot of public facilities now is an expensive piece of equipment, but it's not more expensive than the, the loss that would happen by not having it. You know, having a And I'm not going to jump up and use it unless I know what I'm doing, for right. sure, right? Well, and one of the things about that piece of equipment is it's almost idiot-proof. I mean, once once you you know open the case and start to attach it, if you don't put the, the electrodes in the right it. place, it's it won't let you shock the person. Okay. You know, there's all kind. It, it, it's really a, an amazing piece of equipment. Now, you know, I had my training you know almost eight years ago now, so I'm sure it's even better now. As a college coach, I was trained in CPR. I had the, I guess, unfortunate uh, opportunity to have to use it once in an emergency situation it was not a player it was a fan at a, at a at a game and knowing what to do and knowing you know how to try to help in a really scary traumatic situation was was a powerful thing but i think we need to start to ask that question and start to hold some of the events and the facilities that we're, we're playing at practicing at to a standard of the minimum amount of safety that we have to have available to us for all of us as coaches if we're going to be out there on the field with a team and I don't care what level it is. I don't care what age group it is. I don't care how skilled the players are. You know, these kinds of things can happen in any setting that all of us should take it upon ourselves to learn CPR, to know what it takes to try to save a life if you absolutely are called on in that situation. Now, it'd be great if every park had somebody staffing the, the facility 24-7 so that there's somebody there that, that can do those things for us. But we know that's just not realistic. The many layers to this discussion, we, we saw the worst possible scenario look like it's going to have a very positive outcome, but the reality of it is that the only reason that was so positive was because of all the Where things that were in place yep. to save his life when he needed it. Coaches, parents, it's up to all of us to start to get involved. We need to hold facilities and, and, and tournaments to a standard of providing the minimum amount of we could ask um, that question as right. we're, you know, pondering what tournament to go to. Right. That that we're requiring that uh, there be a defibrillator machine available at every park while the you know, while the tournament's going on. You know, I don't know that it's realistic to think that every park's going to have an ambulance sitting at it waiting for something to happen. But I think if you've got CPR trained people and the defibrillator, you've got a chance to save a life. If you don't have those things, there's no chance. I mean, there, there's no way that anything good's going to happen. Coaches and parents, let's get involved. Let's make sure we know what we have to know so that if the, if the need arises, we're in a position where we can do something. And let's start asking that question. Let's start you know, making the tournaments and the tournament directors and the parks that we're training and playing at aware that this is something that we expect them to do. 
And yes, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. If you're going to complain about something, you got to be ready to pay for it. If defibrillator costs $10,000, then we're going to have to get you know every team that plays it. at the park, yep. every team that rents the fields to practice, um, every tournament director that, that rents a park to play at it, everybody's going to have to kick in a little bit of money. And if that means that the tournaments are going to cost a little bit more or the league fees go up a little bit more or whatever, you know, something that we're just going to have to bite the bullet and, and be willing to do. But it's, it's time for this to become a higher priority. When I was coaching at Tennessee Tech, we had the worst of all situations possible. We had a football player who passed away on the practice field. Oh, and in that situation, we even had you know, all the people in place to try to save his life. Opposite outcome, it was just that terrible you know, you know, nightmare thing that everybody had to deal with. So we know it can happen. It can happen to young people. It can happen to kids. It can happen to eight-year-olds. It can happen to 18-year-olds. It can happen to anybody. And it certainly can happen to a parent or grandparent sitting in the stands watching the game. Tori, I think it's a, a really good topic for today. And again, obviously, after that football game on Monday, it's a little bit more upfront for us. But what you said earlier about there's there's no amount of money that would make a difference in you know someone feeling like they had their lives saved at a ballpark right. or in a parking lot, wherever it might be. And again, the reality is, is that they do cost money and we do need to figure out how to make them available for everyone. Yep. If you gave me two options or, or 10 options. I'm going to pick the one that my family and my friends and the people around us are going to be safer. Right. No but, matter what it is. And, and one thing we can count on is anything we do that costs more money, people are going to complain about. But if we are organized and passionate in our argument, the complaints are going to get replaced by logic. And logic is going to win out some of the time, at least. And when it's something as amazing and, I guess, important as the idea of saving a life, I mean, there's no way that we can put a, a dollar value on what the opposite outcome costs. If we lose somebody because we don't have a machine, because we don't have anybody there who's trained in CPR, there's no way in the world that anybody can put a number value no. on what that loss is. And you can't turn it back around. Yeah, and and there's no, oh, I wish we would have. Nope. Because once that happens, it ha and it, it's, all, it's all said and done. You know, I know we talked about it a little bit with my situation this year. I was probably 10 minutes away from being on the other side of the ground because if the you know, if I had not had uh, you know somebody right there when I went down to help me, I don't think I would have survived. It can happen to anybody, can happen in a lot of different circumstances, but we know that the athletic arena, the softball field, the practice field, playing games is a high-risk environment. We need to start treating it like such. And I think sometimes we kind of just talk ourselves into thinking, well, they're young, you know, they're, they're kids, they're in good shape, they're, you know, we don't have to worry about it. Well, 24-year-old guy on Monday. Yeah, that's yeah. in the absolute you know, peak of physical conditioning and all that stuff, and, and it can happen to him, it can happen to anybody. So, so did you know safety, life-saving uh, precautions has to become a higher priority? We need to emphasize it. We need to make sure that we're talking about it. We need to be asking for it, and we need to be willing to pay for it. And if we do that stuff, we will hopefully have some more positive outcomes and happy stories if something unfortunate does happen. So, Don, that's going to take us to this week's listener question. And this week's listener question was kind of an interesting twist. Ron sent me an email kind of raising the question because we've talked about the transfer portal so often. He said, with the transfer portal being so prevalent and a tool that so many schools are using, is there a niche? kind of a little area in recruiting now 
where the potential for a player who exhibits tremendous loyalty that stays with the same team forever, that stays with the same coach forever, that at least a certain percentage of college coaches might be more drawn to that player because they, I guess, are just tired of losing players to the transfer portal. Because they know they're not going to transfer right, right back out. Yeah, right? And, and we, we've laughed about uh, Hutch's uh, statement about wanting to look in a kid's closet to see how many uniforms are hanging up in there to know whether she should recruit them or not. Yep. So kind of the same thing. Is, for, is there going to be a group of college coaches that start to look at it from the opposite perspective of, hey, there's a player that I know is going to stick with us. There's a player who's going to stay stay the course. Tori, I'm always, always conscious of loyalty and stuff like that, because that means a lot to me personally. I, Again, I want to be around people that want to pull in the same direction I'm going. If you're constantly wondering, you know, well, you know, I know they're a great player and they just joined our group. Are they leaving, you know, right. again? next year yeah again that's no way to live no way to work no way to find comfort in the day and you know so it does i think make a big difference to me and i think that there's a lot of potential in people through training and stuff like that and we can create really good strong solid players if we've got a good foundation and i think some of those attributes that you ran through will create those same good players so right. i think there's a lot of value there yeah well the thing that uh, i thought was interesting about the question was part of me thinks that this should happen. There, there are some college coaches that should be naturally and drawn to, drawn to and, and yeah. be looking for players that they feel are, are going to be that loyal to the cause, loyal to the team, going to stick with us. We're going to be able to develop them. Because, you know, They want to be with us and they want us to coach them and they want us to help them improve kinds of kids. There probably already are some college coaches that kind of fall in that category. They haven't really been influenced they, they or changed. Stick to it. Yeah, they're yeah. just sticking with it. The unfortunate thing is for a lot of those college coaches that they are looking for players that they hope will stay the course and that have you know demonstrated that they've been loyal to one team or one program for a long time in the recruiting process, but that's still no guarantee that's what's going to happen. But, and and then is that gonna gonna be the end winner? Right. Good environment. Yeah, and and yeah. I th so I think that for players that are really loyal to a program that have played for the same coach, for the same team, for the same organization for a really long time. The idea of promoting that and emphasizing that you know, in your recruiting materials, talking to college coaches about, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. I really want to, you know, work hard. I really want to play for somebody who's going to make me a better player and, and be dedicated to helping me learn and grow. I think there's some value in that. And I think there probably is some potential benefit in that. Cynic in me, though, thinks that most college coaches are probably going to go, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say that, but will you really do it if the grass appears to be greener right. someplace else? Demonstrating that in the past is a beautiful thing. I just wish there was a way to guarantee that you know that demonstrated dedication and, and loyalty from the past means that we're going to stay that way as we move forward. Well, I'll tell you what, and I guess the <clears> proof's <throat> in the pudding, and if they do stick and we can keep a group together, I think that it would be a really neat environment for everybody to experience. Right. But I train with kids, and you know, as this topic comes up and, and we kind of dig into it, if somebody came and offered them a bunch of money, I don't know how they would be able to turn it down. Right. You know, so it, I mean, it really breaks my heart for all those mid-level coaches in particular that do come across really talented kids that for whatever reason, they are able to recruit them and work with them and, and help them to become better players uh, when they are offered money to leave. It would be 
super gratifying if they declined. Right. Wouldn't that be neat? If they if, stayed, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that be neat if they were offered a bunch to leave and, and they stayed? Again, that would be a perfect world for me. Yeah, but. well, and, and one of the things, and this is something now with the, the whole transfer portal and uh, name, image, and likeness and, and players being offered money to transfer and offered money And the difference uh, to get in the ability and, from these teams to... Right, yeah. and, and the schools that can and the schools that can't do all that stuff is I'm starting to feel a little bit out of the loop on, on how all this stuff is working. You know, the idea of, you know, for, for you know, the vast majority of my career, you know, we were recruited kids through high school. They would come to our program. They would stay with our program. Almost probably 90% who came stayed, you know, 80%, something like that. I mean, but a pretty high percentage, way different than it is in the modern game. And we never had to worry about somebody offering them money or you know some sort of incentive or whatever to to transfer through backdoor channels even right. You and I have talked about this a little bit in the past, you know, because I've, I've created the list of my all time team, you know, the the very best players I've ever coached. And looking back at that list, if we brought all those players up into the modern world, if I had recruited them to come play for me at Tennessee Tech or Wisconsin Parkside or Kennesaw State. They're developing, they're getting better. You know, they, they've gone from being so, sort of an unknown as a high school senior to an all-conference player or player of the year as a sophomore or a junior. I don't know how many, if any of them, would be finishing their career with us because well, the incentives are so strong now. And the, the ability for those schools that can give the money and, and have the, all these other things going for them, the fact that they are so blatantly breaking the rules and just poaching players at will. I'm going to pay you a big compliment, though, Tori. I think a lot of your kids would have stayed. I appreciate that, that, but that's um, the truth. Yeah, um, I, I think some would have. But, but I do yeah. agree that the talent that that you coached back in that time would definitely have warranted uh, opportunities that they could have left. Right. Well, yeah. and and, and yeah. like the perfect example, you know, Stephanie Fisher came to us as a basketball player who, at the last minute, had through some injuries and some other things, ended up becoming a softball player for us at Tennessee Tech, and you know, she was one of those kids that came in. Super as, athlete, yeah. As a as a great athlete that was a great basketball player, and just by you know her bad luck with some injuries, ended up choosing to play softball because she could you know do that. Basically, a walk on player as a freshman worked her way into the lineup, worked her way into the starting lineup, worked her way up to the top of the order, ended up becoming an All American. Well, you know, I love the fact that she did all that in our uniform and over the course of her career, and 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 worked her butt off for four whole years. But in the modern world, after her sophomore year, when she worked her way into the starting lineup and started hitting home runs, there would have been an awful lot of sharks circling the boat. And I'd like to think, you know, that she would have stayed. But I also, as you said earlier, if, you know, some school says, well, you know, we're going to take charter flights and I'm going to get you $10,000 cash money. It's like, okay, you know, I'm going to get you all the swag you want. You're not going to pay anything to go to school. I'm going to get you a great education and... You do what you're doing here, but you just do it right. over there. And, and uh, you're going to sign autographs uh, at this car dealership, and for every autograph you sign, you're going to get an extra $1,000. Right. I mean, I, I don't know how we could have argued against it, because the emotional part of me would have been, you know, be loyal, stick with us. <laughs> the reality part of me would have been like, dang, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So I get it. But so, uh, Ron, thanks very much for the question. Um, you know, I think it was interesting to talk about. I love the idea of loyalty. I love the idea of a kid being able to demonstrate it. I would definitely promote it in my recruiting materials. 
I'll have to see a, a few college coaches coming out saying, hey, I'm looking for kids that are going to stick with us no matter what. I was what. say, kids, be that, that loyal one. Yeah, yep. it, it would be fun to see. So, all right, so Don, that's going to take us to this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here, and I'm super excited to share with you guys three reasons your athlete isn't feeling confident that have nothing to do with how hard she works. So here are the three things. One, she doesn't know how great she really is. Two, she plays hesitant because she's afraid to fail and get pulled by her coach. Three, she is always hard on herself and never seeing the positive things. If you're like nodding your head yes, and oh my gosh, this is so my daughter. (laughs) I know because I work with lots of girl athletes and these three things come up all the time and they're like top three reasons that athletes are not feeling confident. So I personally recall working my butt off week in and week out, adding more reps, getting more hitting sessions in, still not getting the results I wanted out on the field. This honestly has the same, same concept in my life as an adult. Like I could work, 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 work till I am dead tired and still not see the results until I started working on my mind. And that's the thing I want to share with you guys. It had nothing to do with how hard I was working. Don't get me wrong. Working hard is important too, but it was all in my head. I was the only one getting in my own way with my negative doubting thoughts and mindset. So I want to help you show your daughter how to believe in herself at my live training for athlete parents. And here are some things that I am going to teach. Here's what you can expect at that live training. First thing, I want to teach you and what you're going to learn is how to help your you and your daughter have a plan for when she's feeling afraid to make a mistake, when she's playing hesitant, worried about what everyone thinks, doubting herself, or feeling pressure. One of the most sabotaging things that's going to keep your daughter from achieving those things, basically performing under pressure, um, performing when it matters, getting the results that she wants, achieving her dreams, her goals, all of those things. The one most sabotaging thing is she's telling herself negative things. She's thinking about negative things and she's believing negative things. But you know this already. You've been trying to get her to stop doing these things. And if you're thinking about this right now and you're listening to this right now, maybe it hasn't worked. And you're here looking for answers. You're here searching for answers or you're thinking about maybe this would be a really good training for my daughter because I haven't been able to get through to her that her thoughts are her reality. And I have probably told the girls that I mentor, what we say and think is what we believe a thousand times because it's true. Our mind is so powerful and I can help you help your daughter learn how to believe in herself. The other thing that we're going to, we're going to cover in the training is I'm going to teach you how to reframe her negative comments and thoughts. I used to think that there was something wrong with me. Why was I working so hard and and wanting success and results so bad, but it just wasn't happening? Why is my teammate freaking crushing it and making it look so easy? Why does it feel so hard for me? Why am I so frustrated? And these were all my negative thoughts and comments. There was nothing wrong with me, just like there is nothing wrong with your daughter. It's just those annoying, pesky, negative, subconscious thoughts that are tricking us into believing things like, 
She's not good enough. She's the, that other girl's better than her. I, she sucks. I suck. <laughs> There's, um, something wrong with her. There's something wrong with me. This feels so hard. So our subconscious thoughts are reactive. They just pop up into our mind, meaning we have to work really hard and practice choosing the thoughts that we want to keep because those pesky negative subconscious thoughts are just thoughts, not truths, just thoughts. So if your daughter is constantly having those negative thoughts, that negative self-talk, being hard on herself, I have a solution for you. I'm going to be teaching exactly that. And we're going to be working on reframing those negative comments and thoughts. And lastly, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to feel confident that your athlete can perform without doubt and fear holding her back. All of this wrapped up into one training. Like get excited. I'm excited. (laughs) It's going down on January 23rd at 5 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 7 p.m. Eastern Time by me. I call my, I've been calling myself Ben in your daughter's shoes before confidence coach Paige Tons. And you can save your seat using this link at my website, www.pagetons.com backslash parent dash training. If you go to my, my website, pagetons.com, you can find it in the upcoming workshops as well. If you don't want to type all of that in. I am super excited for this, you guys, and I hope to see you there. It's going to be amazing. It's going to, you're going to walk away with so many tools and so many resources. And I'll also be sharing with you guys a little bit more about my program that's opening up in a couple of weeks. It's going to be great. So, oh, by the way, it is just, it is just $5. I'm giving you guys a little buy-in so that you show up live and you do the work. So I can't wait to see you there. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hey folks, Paige is a rock star. I know I talk about it every week. We need to sign up for her programs. It's pagetons, T-O-N-Z.com. So uh, Don, our leadoff topic, leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods, located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. If you reach out to the folks at Elite, anything you need, they're well stocked right now. They got tons of gloves on the wall and and lots of you stuff get some available. Spirit wear, right? Uh, if you get, uh, yeah. Anything you need: uniforms, spirit wear, bats, balls, gloves, almost anything you need. Go ahead and reach out to those folks, and they will get you hooked up, and they'll ship it anywhere in the country. And I've listened to a lot of podcasts. You know, we talk about that uh, when we started doing this podcast four or five years ago. I didn't even really know what a podcast was, and now I spend all my time driving down the highway listening to podcasts. And I was listening to a discussion. They were talking specifically about NBA, but the discussion that they had covered several different topics. We're going to jump into one today because this is one that I think for all of us, whether we're a coach, a player, or a parent, it applies to all of us. And this is something that listening to that discussion really hit close to home because I've thought this for a really long time. There are winning players and there are losing players. And the difference between the two is a lot of different factors, a lot of different things, but it's not purely just talent. And the reason I wanted us to talk about this is because I think that some of the stuff that I think makes for a winning player, the kind of player that helps teams win championships, that helps teams win big games, that helps teams fulfill their potential and really accomplish something amazing, are the kinds of things that we need to start to emphasize more, pay attention to more, and ask our players to do more. Obviously, it's great if a kid's a great hitter, 
and we can count on them going three for four every game. And and, they're going to hit a couple of home runs a weekend. It's great if we have a kid who's super fast and she can steal bases at will. You know, it's nice if we've got a pitcher who's got an amazing rise ball that can get, you know, 15 strikeouts a game. All those things are great, but that's just part of what I think is needed to actually have a truly winning team. You know, if we have those players we just talked about, the great hitter, the super speedy player, the amazing pitcher, that there's still going to be a time for that player to be challenged by other players that are just as talented or teams that are just as skilled, that the fact that that player is so good at what they do physically is kind of a wash. It's not any better or any different than some other teams. You know, when you watch really, really good teams play against each other, both teams have really talented players. But my opinion is, and my theory for this discussion today is, that there's something that one team does more of, or there's a bunch of things that one team does more of, that is what separates them from the other team. What is the difference between a winning player and a losing player? To me, it's a lot of stuff that has very little to do with just pure athletic ability. Tori, I think you're on to something for sure, because over the decades that we've been doing this, we've seen so many different kids come through. And as I listen back to some of the podcasts in the past, we, we talk about attributes of players that uh, we consider to be great. And they seem to be the ones that will do all the extra stuff. They'll do all the little things. They'll do all the behind the scenes things, whether it's being a great teammate that helps someone else, um, whether it's in training or whether it's just picking things up. When someone's done whatever their task is and they hustle over to help someone else, those kind of things rub off, I think. And when it's crunch time, those are the people that inside I'm really pulling for. Right. And, uh, And not that that has anything to do with their success or failure, but it's just really exciting or interesting to sit back and watch over these decades the players that want to cut corners, and we see it because we're with them every day. The ones that, if they could do just a little bit less than everyone else, then they're comfortable and satisfied right. with that. They might be the best hitter. They might be the second fastest kid. They might be the the strongest arm or whatever that's out there. And sit back and watch things. It seems like they're the ones that just come up short. Yeah. They're the last one to strike out of a game, a big game right at the end when we're a run down or a run behind. The one that's going to drop the pop-up, and yeah. it just happens. They it happens. make the key error. Yep, it just happens that way. And I've sat back and watched that for years and years and years, and I think you're really on to something that, as coaches, that we should be trying to create an environment to encourage these little extra things right. as much as being a good hitter, pitcher, thrower, runner, you know, all those other things. But I think you're on to something that there's – maybe a, a, a list of key ingredients that are part of those great players. Right. Well, and, and some of it is, you know, the intangible kinds of things that we're talking about are not really all that intangible. That's one of those things that I think we talk about what makes one player come through in the clutch when, when, when another player does not. And we always try to make it into some sort of they're just magic better or they're, yeah, Some yeah. sort of like, you know, it's some sort of like mystical thing that we can't understand. And quite often the difference is really something that is easy to see and easy to practice and easy to work on. It's just that one player chooses to do it and one player chooses not to. And let's just take two players that are exactly the same. They're both super talented players. So let's say, you know, two teams are playing each other. They both have amazing shortstops. You know, they both have, you know, great arms, great range. You know, they both 
can go deep in the hole. You know, they both can turn double plays. They both have all the measurables that we would want to have when we talk about who's going to be a great shortstop. But we have one who, when there's a runner on base, is on every single pitch moving to where she's supposed to be to back up a potential play. Every single pitch, even though she knows that, you know, she might run to back up third base a thousand times and never touch the ball. She's still going over there every single time because she knows that's what winning players do. Or the other shortstop who goes when she's pretty sure that there might be a play, but doesn't move an inch the rest of the game. Or it's a real important time. Right. Yeah, timing-wise. Do we want the shortstop, let's say there's a runner at first base, do we want the shortstop that assumes that everybody else knows what's going on? Or do we want the shortstop that when the pitcher's getting ready to take her sign, you know, reminds the pitcher, hey, on a, on a ground ball back to you, I'm your double play partner. That looks at the second baseman and says, hey, ground ball to you, we're going to turn two. Who looks at the third baseman and says, hey, on a bunt, you get into crash and, I, and I'll cover your spot or whatever the situation might be. So do we want the player who's doing the communicating and the talking and the, the planning for what's supposed to happen or the I'm just going to expect everybody knows what they want to do, girl? And again, so these are the kinds of things, the constantly moving to back up where you're supposed to be, even though you might never touch the ball, the communicating about the possibilities so that we're all on the same page to make sure that we're focused and playing good team defense. All those different kinds of things are things that we should be rewarding, that we should be practicing, that we should be encouraging our kids to do. But unfortunately, I think more of what is happening, and, and I see this a lot, this is you know one of my most heartbreaking things, you know, I've had the good fortune of, you know, doing, I don't know, 50 of these rent-a-coaches now over the years. You know, one of the things that uh, coaches are always asking, you know, me to do is, well, what are the things that, you know, college coaches really want to see? What are the things that, that college coaches expect their players to be able to do? And it's some of this kind of stuff. It's like, well, here, you know, here's a couple of simple things that if your players would do it all the time, you'd have a better team. And it would stand out. College coaches would notice it if they were going to recruit them. They'll do it while I'm there. But then I'll go watch them play two weeks later, and it's like I was never there. Right. Yeah. Dude, so not because well, I know I should. Why? Why yeah. isn't Mary backing up at third anymore? Well, she decided. You know, she gets too tired if she has to run over there every play. And you're okay with that? Well, yeah, because you know she's my best player, and I don't want to hurt her feelings by telling her that what she's doing is what's going to lose us a game. Because this is the thing about our game that is so ridiculously heartbreaking: the stuff that makes the difference. The stuff that really shines through the vast majority of the time happens very infrequently. It happens kind of behind the scenes, almost like incognito, like you don't even realize it. And all of a sudden, oh, shoot. You know, there was a a game in the uh, college World Series, and I believe it was Oklahoma State, who's an amazing team. And they ended up with that crazy play where all of a sudden, you know, the center fielder was, you know, just a split second late getting where she was supposed to be to back up the secondary play. And that secondary throw went or all warning track. Right. And runners are going around the bases like it was like watching, you know, the eight-year-olds play. So we know what can happen to all players. And now I'm, I'm not trying to implicate that player as being lazy or not or being that a player, way. but just sure. that one time, you could watch a thousand softball games at the college level and never see something like that happen again. But, Absolutely. but, and what's the difference? Well, you know, who ended up winning the national championship? You know, so it wasn't, yeah. it was not that team. So the idea now for all of us, uh, let's look at it from a coach's perspective. Coaches, we need to 
take a good hard look at our team and are we doing those things that winning teams do? Are we communicating? Are we backing up? Are we hustling? Are we keeping our focus on the game? Are we doing all those things that we know lead to being a really good team? And if we're not doing them, we need to start to fix that. We need to start to train our players on what is the difference between winning and losing. We need to help them understand that, yes, you might go there a thousand times and never touch the ball. But if it's the championship game, and that's when that girl tries to steal third, and you're not there, and that ball rolls down in the corner, and we lose the championship, don't you wish you would have done it then? I was going to say, Tori, and, and you'd mentioned, uh, I don't want to upset <clears throat> that. She's my best player. I don't want to upset her. That's the girl. That's the one that's going to break your heart in the end. Right. Because that's going to happen to her. Yep. She's going to be the one that drops the ball. She's yeah. going to be the one to, to make the mistake or strike out. Right. That's the one. And, and it yep. might not be that specific situation, but because yep. we aren't, as coaches, because we aren't holding our best player to do the things that need to be done, she's going to have the attitude and the short. approach that's going to leave her short somewhere. So it yep. might be that we don't make her back up or we don't expect her to back up, we don't even challenge her to do it because we know it's the right thing to do, but that leads to her not coming through at the plate yeah. or making an error on a routine ground ball or whatever just because she's gotten used to coasting along at where she's at and just doing what she's comfortable with instead of working harder to do the stuff that we know we need to be doing. I've seen it over and over. Yep. Yep. So many times. And unfortunately, I think it's an easy thing from a coaching perspective, and you know, we've talked about roster management and kids quitting teams and transfer portal and all that stuff that sometimes we talk ourselves into thinking, well, it's better for me to keep a talented player who only does half the stuff I want versus trying to get a talented player to do all the stuff I want and maybe hurting her feelings or making her mad or holding her accountable. I know which one's more fun. Yeah. And when I know which one we should be, but unfortunately yeah. I don't think that that's happening as much as it should be. So coaches, we're part of that problem. And the other thing is from a coaching perspective, You've got a player who you know you haven't been holding accountable. You have a player that you're not expecting to do these kinds of things, but then we keep putting them in positions where they have to do those kinds of things or we lose. So who's the dummy? And we keep crossing our fingers. Yeah. Well, I know she won't back up. I know there's a, you know, the winning runs at second base. I know she's never going to move from her spot, but I'm going to keep putting her out there because I'm just going to assume that that team's never going to steal a base. We're never going to have a bad throw. You know, those kinds of things are never going to happen to us. Well, so coaches, it's on all of us to start to, you know, picture this list of things in your mind, the stuff that you know really talented, successful players do all the time, start holding your players accountable to it. Parents, it's time for you all to stop telling your kid, oh, sweetie, don't worry about it. You had three hits today. Oh, you don't need to worry about what he said about backing up. You know, you're going to be so tired, you might not get a hit. You know, sweetie, it's okay that, you know, not doing this or not doing that or not doing this other thing, you know, because whatever. It's time for us as parents to start to look at it and say, because you're watching your kid play, everybody who's listening to this podcast has sat at the ballpark at least once in the last couple of months and watched somebody else play your kid's position and deep down in your heart of hearts you're going, man, I wish my kid would do that. And I wish my kid was that. I wish my kid was. I wish she was hustling. I wish she was moving. I wish she was talking. I wish she was. So if you know you wish she was, encourage her to do it. And don't enable her to avoid it. Don't make it okay for her not to do those things. And players, 
you've all sat there and watched this game. You watch these games on TV. You watch these college players going, oh, man, I, I, I wish I could do that. Well, guess what? You can. Got to try. Yeah, you can yeah. do a lot of it. Now, can you do it as fast or as strong or as explosively? Maybe not. Maybe not yet. But if you're a 12-year-old shortstop and you're already learning that you have jobs to do and you're going to do them every single pitch, even though you might never touch the ball, well, guess what happens later on when you become a little bit more mature and you grow a little bit and you get a little bit faster and all that kind of stuff? You're still doing all the right things, all the winning things. When it's a habit. When it's a habit. You've, you've made good habits. There are winning players, Don, and there are losing players. And I, here's my fear, and this is what I'm seeing because I, I get to see more than I wish. What direction we're headed. We're, we're creating a lot more losing players than winning players because we're settling for just winning a game, even though we're doing stuff that is losing mentality, it's losing attitude, lo losing strategy. -term, yeah. Right? The things that, that I've said you know, hundreds of times, that I'll take a player with average ability that's willing to do all those things all the time versus a player with great ability who's going to pick and choose. No, I know. It's, uh, it's interesting to sit and watch. That's fun. And it's up to us to start to change that attitude because there's a, I mean, the saying somebody's a loser is kind of a harsh way to say it, but there are winners and losers every time we go to the ballpark. Sure. And there are things that, shockingly, the teams that win all the time are doing a lot more of those things than the teams that don't. Well, and Tori, I think that this, and I, maybe this is a little off topic, but it carries over even after softball. Yep. I mean, it, it, it comes into our everyday world. It comes into our job opportunities. It comes into moving up in a company or in a, a business. You know, these kind of things aren't just softball things. Right. It's, it's life, too. Yeah. So win there, there's winners and losers that, and everything. That's the cool part to watch. Yeah. Yep. And, and we, we want to help start to create more winners that are doing things that winners do. And, Absolutely. And le less of the other. All awesome. Right, so, now, that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. And make sure you take advantage of that EFP10 discount. Again, it's a great way for you to help support everything Fast Pitch and save on a great product that you should be buying anyhow. Let's start this year healthy, right? Yep, healthy and, and energized. Love it. And ready, ready to rock and roll. So, Don, as I mentioned in the open, I got an email from one of our listeners that had a very long, lengthy list of questions and, and things to talk about relative to recruiting. His, his daughter is starting on her high school journey and he wants to get a head start um, and he understands that you know the rules don't necessarily allow for his daughter to have absolute recruiting contact with all the coaches that she might want to at, at this point in time but he also wants to help her strategize come up with a plan for them as a family to try to make sense of this whole thing and so i want us to start off with the first question he had didn't really come back to the or it comes back to this answer but his question was how should she get schools to recruit her? And my response was more so, what should you be doing to make sure she's trying to get recruited by the right schools? And one of the things that I see happening all the time 
is that people think that a, a strategy to use in recruiting is to target everybody and then respond to who contacts you back. And my philosophy all along has been target the schools you're most interested in and work really hard at targeting them. And so to kind of get this first answer out there is, well, how do you know what schools to target? And I've talked about this in our recruiting seminar. If you have time, you can go to the YouTube channel on our fastpitchprep.com website, and we created a four-part recruiting series. And as I say every time I talk about it, some of the dates and the, the rules have changed a little bit, but a lot of this information is still timeless and still very, very helpful. But one of the things we talk about is the list that every player should be creating. And to kind of get this off to, and answer the first four or five questions on our listeners list, Players should be starting with a very specific list of what it is she's looking for in the school she wants to go to for college slash softball. And that's something that has to start off from each player individually. They have to think about what's important to them, what they want to have, what are the kinds of things that they think are going to be important to their long-term success for their life after softball, the whole nine yards. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't understand how important that is. And so they spend tons of time marketing themselves to schools that they have absolutely no interest in, instead of spending all that time marketing themselves to schools that really would be a good fit. No, I think that's super important, Tori. And again, if you're not happy where you're at and comfortable and excited every day when you get up to go to class and go to practice and to be active that way, it just doesn't make sense. And eventually you end up Unhappy. Disheartened and unhappy. In the yeah. transfer portal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I hear this all the time because, you know, sometimes people will ask me, you know, well, you know, what kind of schools should my, you know, I'll ask them, what kind of schools is your daughter interested in? And their response is often something like, well, she's going to be interested in anybody who's interested in, in her. her. Right. And that's so 180 degrees backwards from how I think this is really supposed to work. And so what should the list incorporate? Whatever's important to your kid, right? Whatever's important to you as a player. You know, I think there's some things that so are absolutely size, universal. Academic. Yeah, the size of the school, how far from home, how important softball is at that university. Can you, you know, study whatever major it is you really want to study and still be on the softball team? And in this modern day and age, you know, there's lots of other things that are factoring into people's decisions too. I, but I, I hear about football, Tori. They've got football. I'm like, that's yeah. six days of the year. Right. And and you're not playing it. No. Yeah. But but whatever it is. And again, you know, we, we kind of make fun of you know, some of them, but you know, whatever is important to a player is important to a player. If you're a player that you spent your whole life, that every weekend is very family oriented, you know, you go to church on Sunday morning, then after church, you go to grandma's house and you have dinner. And then you spend all Sunday afternoon playing with your cousins and, and brothers and sisters in the yard. You know, then you go to church Sunday evening and then, you know, that's your every Sunday is that family time and, and really, you know, spending as much time with your family as possible. For that player, the idea of going 3,000 miles away to a school on the other side of the country might not be a good idea. You know, there's other kids that are really ready to get out on their own, and they want to see the world, and they want to go to some big city, and they want to go to some big school, and that's fine too. If you've spent your whole life in a tiny little school with you know, a couple of hundred students, you know, the idea of going to Georgia or someplace like that where you're going to have 50,000 students on campus might a be a little intimidating. Overwhelming, yeah. Or it might be exactly what you want because, hey, I'm tired of being someplace where I know everybody. I want to go someplace and meet new people from all over the world. And so creating that list of what's important, I think, is really important for each player to do. And, you know, sometimes it takes a little soul searching. Sometimes it takes a little honesty. Sometimes it takes realizing that something that you might say is really important to you might not be as important to your parents or to your friends. 
but it has to be, you know, your starting point, your wish list. You know, the analogy I use all the time, and I'm terrible at this. I go to the grocery store all the time without a list. And I'll start walking up and down the aisles. And I don't go in there with the idea of I need a box of zingers or I need a thing of another uh, you know, sample pack of you know, all the different potato chips. About some chocolate yeah, milk. Whatever it might be. And all of a sudden I get back to the house and I'm unpacking. And there's always one or two things in the bags that I had no intention of buying, that I didn't have any interest in when I went in the store, that I have no idea really why I bought it, but I did. And unfortunately, I think that when you don't have a list, Chances are when you go to the grocery store, you're going to come out of there with stuff you shouldn't have bought. The only worst, the only worst way to go, Tori, is if you go hungry. Yeah, well, uh, that's a <laughs> terrible combination. If the list makes sense because it, it focuses me in the grocery store, just think how much value it's going to have for, for a, focusing you on trying to pick a school to, to go. Where you're going to be every day. Right, to, to yeah. get an education and to, and to play softball. You know, for every player, and again, the, the soul-searching part of this is something that cannot be underestimated. Because there are some kids that softball is they eat it, sleep it, dream it, breathe it. 24 hours a day, it's the most important thing to them. For other kids, it's something they're really good at and something they like doing, but it's not that important to them. Well, just that realization should help them and guide them on what their list is going to look like. If you know, I want to play softball, but I want it to be for fun, and I want to you know, play on a team, but it, you know, winning and losing is not that crucial to me, that player's list looks a whole lot different than... I'd give a kidney to play for a national championship kid. Right. Right. Creating the list is the first thing that every player should do. And then that's going to give you guidance. So if it says, I want to stay close enough to home that I can get home every weekend, you know, then we can get out a map. We can draw a circle of, I don't know, 300 miles. List the schools you know, inside. And, and, and we start off with the schools that are inside that list. If I want to stay close to home and I want to study molecular biology. Okay. List got smaller. Well, so now we are inside that circle of 300 miles ish, and we're you know looking at 10 schools. So I want to go to a school uh, close to home where I can study molecular biology and play on a national championship level softball team. Maybe only one. Now or there two. might be one or two, yeah. right? And so then we know for sure. Well, okay, I've got to market myself like crazy to those one or two, or it might be. I open the mile. I open right? the miles up a little bit, or I have to go back and adjust my my wish list a little bit. But the most important thing is having a place to start, and the place that every player, every family should start is a a list of what that player wants to find, wants to have, believes they need to have to be successful, where they're going to be spending the, that four or five years of their life while they're working on their college degree. Should we put them in order of importance, maybe? And I always think because it should we be might ranked. have to make some concessions. Yeah. I think it should always be ranked, and, and now you know it can change from time to time. You know, sometimes a kid you know makes a list when they're fifteen, and the, it changes when they're sixteen, of and course. it looks a lot different when they're seventeen. And I a think starting it needs, point, right? And I think mm -hmm. it needs to be something that's written down someplace so that you can check it and look at it. I think the list can be a great scorecard for when you start to look at schools. So let's say you've got ten things on your list that you need to have. You know, number one is close to home. Number two is your academic major. Number three is can I start as a freshman? Number four is National champion. national championship or or Contender, whatever it might be. Yeah. And so then as I you know, look at a school, I can go down the list, say, well, number one, yes. Number two, no. Number three, yes. Number four, yes. Seven number five, no. Yeah. So seven out of 10. Hey, that's a pretty good starting point. I think I should get to know more about that school. If it's two out of 10. Maybe go to their camps. Yeah. yeah if it's two yeah. out of 10, you probably should waste too much more time on that school because if you choose it, it's because you're talking yourself into 
thinking that some of those yeses are, or noes are yeses when they're really, they're supposed or to be noes. Just because they want me. Right. Yeah. So create the list, use the list as your guide. If you do that, you're going to be way ahead of this game and be in a much better position, a much better place to make good decisions and be happy in the long haul. Don, that's going to take us to this week's Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week. Hello, I'm John Davis of Action Coach Business Coaching. As softball coaches, trainers, and parents, we all know if we aren't working and learning, we are falling behind. When we fall behind, we are prone to losing and falling short of our goals. As a business coach, I work with business owners and leaders to clarify their dreams and goals and then proceed with the learning, planning, and actions that need to be taken to achieve your goals. So, how would you approach your games if you were 100% certain that you would win? Or, what if you knew you were going to lose? How would you change your roster? How would you change your, your batting lineup? Etc. So, one area I teach business owners is to work on the key performance indicators or their KPIs. These are the statistics for your business to tell you whether you are winning or losing. Many in business wait to see what the numbers are. Imagine playing a game with the scoreboard turned off and no idea what the outcome would be. We don't do it in softball, but many do it in business. So, what are the KPIs and how do you set them up for your business? At a high level, I ask you to think about the results or goals you want in your business for a time frame. For example, revenue and the number of customers. Once this is set, we work backwards and determine the actions you're going to take, the output of those actions, and the ratios. For example, if you know that one in every five inbound phone calls leads to a proposal and one in four proposals leads to a customer, then you know that for every 20 phone calls you receive, you will get a customer. So by tracking those phone calls, you have a better sense of how many customers you will have in the future. Then we think about what we must do to make that phone ring. So, like I said, by defining your goals and knowing your business, you can create the measurements that will tell you if you are winning or losing. I'm always willing to spend time talking to fellow business owners, especially those in our fast pitch community. If you want to talk about taking your business to the next level, then reach out and we can set up a 30-minute phone call to talk about your opportunities and I will share the five ways to increase profits. No business or situation is too big or too small as we have programs for all stages of business. And if we end up working together, you'll receive a 10% discount on all programs and an additional 10% will be donated to Fast Pitch Prep to continue their great podcasts. So just tell me as you heard about us through the Everything Fast Pitch Prep podcast. When you want to talk about how to improve your sales performance, then reach out to me John Davis at actioncoach.com or call me at 817-538-8864. Now is a great time to get into action. I know I really enjoy John's uh, weekly segments. I'm glad that we were able to add Action Coach as one of our uh, sponsors and partners. And I think that a lot of the information that he's sharing certainly has a business twist to it, but it also has a softball twist that I think fits in really, really well. And so let's make sure that we uh, support him if you can. Again, it's another great way for you to help support everything Fast Pitch at the same time. That's going to wrap up episode number 249. As always, please make sure you support our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company, Bidinger and Styles DDS, Elite Sporting Goods, Pinnacle Power Butter, and Action Coach, of course. Make sure that you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. Again, thank you very much to Doug Everman and Matt Stacy for becoming new patrons. If you have questions, comments, ideas, suggestions, player of the week nominations, all of those go to everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. And as always, you know, we want to talk about stuff that you're interested in. If you have suggestions or ideas, uh, nominations, we want to hear about them because it's the best way for us to make sure that we're on topic and, and talking about the stuff that you're really interested in. So 
For Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.